Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Boys Are From Martin, a women and beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Katie De La Rosa of Half Acre Beer Company in Chicago, Illinois. We recorded this podcast a little over a month ago, and Katie has since been promoted from Taproom General taproom general manager to hospitality general manager. Uh, It took me a little bit longer to put this podcast episode out. I was having some issues with Katie's audio, but shout out to Squadcast. They got it all sorted out and I am super excited for you to hear this interview. As always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Katie De La Rosa. Did I say that correctly? You nailed it. I've, you know, sometimes they look easy, but they could, uh, they could, they could trip you up. But Katie is joining me from Chicago. She is the taproom general manager at Half Acre in, like I said, Chicago. Katie, how are you doing this Sunday morning? I'm great. Um, I'm feeling really good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have Katie on. We kind of, you know, as I was doing my research um, for this interview, I realized we have weirdly a lot in common um we're both journalism majors or i guess maybe recent things in common and we both just mm-hmm. made huge career changes and moves too um so we'll just dive right into that katie is currently like i mentioned the taproom general manager at half acre chicago but she moved i would say a couple months ago from yeah. um, new orleans she was the you are the head of retail operations at we just practiced this far bar oh my gosh no, you're Foberg. so close. Foberg. You nailed it. You nailed it. Brewing in in New Orleans. So my first question is why, you know, why did you feel like it was, you know, time to leave? And then, you know, why did why did you decide to essentially just move, you know, I don't know how many hours it is, but it's a pretty significant move from New Orleans to Chicago. It's a two day drive for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so first and foremost, my wife is from Chicago. And okay. so we've always known that we wanted to come back here and, and settle here. Uh, I am from South Louisiana. So I made the move. We made the move to New Orleans a couple years ago from Colorado, which is where I began my beer career. But um, New Orleans is my favorite city in the world. It's the it's my favorite city in the world. Uh, but there's a lot of different factors at play. It's also a kind of a difficult place to live with hurricane season being a threat, you know, most of the year, half of the year, um, and other things like that. And the beer scene is is still very new there. Um, it's still for as much as new Orleans is known for its alcohol culture, craft beer is still very nascent and still very burgeoning. Um, so I was really proud to be part of a scene that is growing and developing. Um, but it's, again, it's still very new. Um, so, knowing that we wanted to come to Chicago, it was also really important to me to, again, having lived in Colorado, go back to a scene that is very developed, uh, very mature, um, very collaborative, very established, um, because that's just what I'm used to. Uh, So I actively seeked out employment at Half Acre. So I was really glad when uh, the taproom general manager position uh, opened up, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get the position, and it's been a really awesome two months uh, being a part of their team. Yeah, and again, you're talking, and I'm just just reading, you know, it's so similar to what 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 I did. I, um, you know, was working at a brewery in Kentucky, and uh, you know, Kentucky doesn't have 
a great established beer scene. Um, it's very new and up and coming, mm-hmm. obviously always playing little brother to bourbon. Um, right. And, you know, it's making a move to a brewery that's been established for over 12 years. It was, you know, that's, so I don't want to say it's easier, but, um, you know, it's such a different, you know, you know, job to be a general manager for a brewery that's been around and well-known and you kind of don't have to work to find new customers. Of course you always are, but, you know, after 12 years of being in business, you're pretty much just kind of sliding into what they've, how they've always done things. No, you're so right. Um, again, I, I know your background as well. So like we have extreme parallels that are extremely similar. Um, but yeah, you know, it was like down there, it's like, my job is, you know, supervising teams, uh, you know, overseeing front of house operations. And that's what I'm good at. That's what I do. Um, but in New Orleans or in Kentucky, where a place like beer is still fighting to be relevant, you feel like you're doing double duty because mm-hmm. you feel like I got to I, I not only am like Foberg's ambassador and Foberg's retail ambassador, but right. I just craft beer in New Orleans ambassador. Mm-hmm. So it really did feel like double duty of just like first I got to convince these people to pay attention to us. And then once they finally do, you know, then I can do my job, but it did, it did feel like kind of two jobs to just kind of help develop the the scene down there. And I, I have so many friends and colleagues uh, currently at Foberg, but also at other uh, amazing, amazing breweries in mm-hmm. South Louisiana who are, you know, putting in the work. Um, and so I support them. I, from afar, I will definitely support them when I go back and visit I'm very proud of what they're doing to continue the scene down there. Um, but in the interest of my career, uh, it definitely made a lot of sense to make the move to Chicago. So you've worked kind of as in management since you started. I believe your first job was at, or your first break in the industry was at Wibby Brewing yeah. in Longmont. So kind of, you know, as someone who also is in management, you know, what what led you to that part of the industry? You know, people always ask, you know, when I tell people I'm a beer, they always think I'm a brewer. I'm like, oh, sure. gosh, no. <laughs> sure. So what, what led you to the management route? Yeah, um, I think what's interesting about you and I, like our, our parallels is um, I started in journalism, went to school for journalism. Uh, what kind of, what kind of journalist, journalist did you want to be? Well, you, you know, say I the same thing as me. We maybe we we should hang out more. And get together. I, I, I think so. I, well, you know, what's, I think what's interesting about my story in craft beer is something that I is you not unique to my story, but something that is like very center and core to why I'm here. It's just not being afraid of like career change, mm-hmm. not being afraid to do something different than you thought you were going to do. You know, so I went I went to school for journalism and, you know, I was very fortunate that I really excelled. You know, I did well in school. I won awards and accolades and like that was what I was going to do. That's what I was going to be as a journalist. And so I started at my hometown paper um, and was the breaking news reporter and, and, and saw some success there for sure. Um, so but, I wanted to do sports. So I, same, same. I absolutely wanted to be a sports reporter and I was in college. Mm-hmm, um, it same. was for my college paper and stuff. I, we are so similar. I love it. <laughs> um, and definitely wanted to pursue that as well. But just as far as like employment opportunities that were available to available yeah. to me after, you know, graduating, you know, um, small town newspapers yeah. I apply for, like, all over the country and I'm like thinking that I could live off of that income and like 
wherever it was kind of funny. Well, it's also funny that you say like, what inspired like the change? Uh, I remember my first offer letter from my first newspaper uh, position and thinking like, wow, I've never seen this much money, $25,000 presented to me at once. And then when I did the math, I was like, wait a second, I make more at my grocery store job supporting myself through college than right. I will at this newspaper, you know? So, and honestly, I'll give, I'll give my school credit. I went to the University of Louisiana and they were excellent about being like, you got to be passionate about journalism because it's not the money you're yeah. going into it for, you know? I, my rec, my kind of light bulb was like, I know I'm a good writer, but I'm not a great writer. I had the in, I was mm. working for a very popular mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. college blog and went to the University of Kentucky. And so I had the in, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, it was like a couple steps below a few other people. And I was like, I just, it's, I don't think I want to work harder to be really, really great at it. And I'm sure. like, being honest with myself and. Um, so then I, you know, I kind of didn't switch more kind of probably the way you did is, you know, writing about beer or, you know, working totally. in social media marketing in the beer industry. And it's, it's such an easy transition, especially, you know, if you can write well and, you know, be very communicative, it kind of helps, you know, in our careers, even though we're not using our degree, quote unquote, you know, sure. being a journalist. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, to the very point that you were just making, I always would say that I felt I was a great storyteller, but I wasn't necessarily a great reporter. When it came down to like, you know, filing public record requests or, you know, hammering police officer, public information officers, I was like, I actually don't want to do this. And, right. and, and unfortunately, you know, when a so eventually I transferred up to a paper um, in Colorado. Uh, we were all under the same family as USA Today. So I was able to transfer up to Colorado. Love Louisiana. Very proud to be from Louisiana, but had to get out, you know, had to go do something new. Um, and it was when I got up there that I just had like, oh, my God, I actually don't want to do this. You know, like I was very disillusioned. And that can be very scary. You know, oh, yeah. like it's like you trained for this. You prepared for this. You told everyone this is what you're doing. Um, you convince a new employer to, you know, support you and your move and your transfer. And then you kind of just get up there and deer in headlights, like, wait a second, this is uh, not what I feel called to do um, or whatever. So, so then when you're, when you're faced with like, well, then what is it that I want to do? I was very fortunate and, and maybe it's very serendipitous that I was put in Fort Collins, Colorado. The, at the time, I think it was like the most craft breweries per capita. It probably still is in the top five at the very least. Um, but I, you know, I just kind of looked around the room and I was like, well, what do I like to do? I like, you know, people, which is, you know, why I'm a good storyteller. You know, I, I, I like people. Okay. Um, I love beer. Um, I like talking and serving people. So I was like, well, that, that makes sense. Um, so it was kind of a slow burn and a slow crawl when I got out of journalism to to make my way to maybe brewing and in, in Longmont. You know, did like odd jobs like I was a barista, I worked at a dive bar, I was a bar back at a pizza parlor, you know. So, you know, definitely had to, you know, work your way up to to even get to that first place that right. that launched me into the career that I'm in now. Um, but yeah, you just start putting the pieces together. You're like, Whoa, I like people, I like beer. Yeah. Um, how can I combine those two? And when I was able to figure out what my new career path would be, you know, 
I started doing the dirty work, you know, bar backing, brewery seeing, dive bars, things like that, um, to get me to where I am now. Yeah, because it's weird, you know, obviously you can't go to college. You're like, I want to be a general manager at a brewery. Like, <laughs> and so it's like all the things, you know, that you've done. You know, I worked in retail in college. I've bartended or beer tended. I've, you know, you know, worked in so much customer service. And then it's like that light bulb goes off. It's like, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, you want to work in beer. And, you know, at first I was like, well, of course I got to be a brewer. That's the only way to work in beer. Sure. And, and then you see, it's like, oh no, there's management roles. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I, you know, I like being in control. I like things to be my way. And so it was just such a, like when that light bulb went off that I was like, management is what I want to do. I love talking about beer. I love talking to people about beer. I don't want to make it. It's, you know, I don't want to sell it. As I mean, we didn't study science, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, we're, we, I always tell people I was a journalism major for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Math and science are not my, you know, right. but it's like, I don't even want to try to sell it to bars. I just want to sell it to customers. And it's just crazy that there's this job that is so perfect for you that you kind of don't really realize until, you know, you're 22, 23, or even 24, however old you are because it's such a it's a very niche you know job and there's only, yeah and there's also only so many breweries that can pay someone to do that you know small little startups who are like not even right a year old or whatever right. can't have a i mean they have people who do it but also they have people who are doing you know each other jobs so to be able just to work at a brewery that can hire someone in our role and you know pay us well is, you know, we're very lucky. No, yeah, 110%. And that is part of the reason why we were inspired to make a move from New Orleans. You know, like, like I, I, I'm such a fan of New Orleans beer and, and my previous brewery um, makes a phenomenal product, but there was just no, there was no growth there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that you're, you know, to your point that I also love about management is I know I really enjoy being like supervised. I really enjoy being like mentored. I really enjoy like having a role model. So having the ability to supervise a team yeah. that I can, you know, help 100%. propel their careers, whether that's in beer or whether that's their, this is just a side gig or, or maybe they do want to pursue, you know, something further in beer, whatever it is. I, I really enjoy, um, you know, being a supervisor and a leader to mm -hmm. other people, um, just because I know how much I relish, you know, my mentors, there's so many people, not just in craft beer, but especially craft beer who have literally took chances on me, um, mentored me, taught me, you know, gave me grace when I made mistakes and allowed me the space to make mistakes and learn from those things and things like that, that truly without people who supervised me and mentored me, uh, I would not be here. So I really also relish the, the chance to be that for someone else too in management. Um, I've, I've had employees, especially uh, at Foberg comes to mind. Uh, shout out Ashley, cause I'm sure she'll, she'll, I'm sure she'll listen to this. Um, Ashley too, you know, was really brave to make a career change and wanted to work at Foberg because she had experienced such good customer service there and was like, well, this kind of makes me happy. I think I'd like to make people happy with customer service. So uh, shout out to Ashley. You know, she has a very similar story of where good service with good craft beer is just like really inspiring. And maybe maybe you make that career change. Maybe you don't. But 
certainly makes your weekend. It certainly is an experience that uh, people seek out, obviously. So um, to be able to be able to provide that both to customers and to inspire a new wave of uh, hospitality teams uh, is is a really cool gig. You're right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been a little bit of an adjustment. You know, one of the biggest things that I loved about, um, you know, working in beer is kind of the, I always thought breweries were like, you know, coffee house vibes for adults kind of on a better scale just because mm-hmm. it's very relaxed. It's not like you're going to a bar or a club, but the thing that's been a challenge is the, you know, with COVID, you know, the loss of a lot of bar seating went away. Um, and I don't know how it is at Half Acre, but we don't have a bar at Austin Beer Works. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, we have a few seats on the corner, but nothing where you can like sit at a bar and like talk to a bartender kind of on a, you know, Tuesday evening when it's not mm-hmm. super. And those are some of my favorite times as a bartender, just being able to like, you know, talk, you know, talk to customers about, you know, their life and finding connection and kind of, you know, making that, you know, if they're from, especially if they're from out of town, making that connection, you know, kind of creating a relationship with them and, you know, sending them off on their way to never see again, but you, you know, they'll always remember that experience at the brewery talking to you. And so that's been a little bit of a challenge. So it's also, you know, I always try to, you know, when it's not super busy, like, you know, have my bartenders connect with customers or whatever. 110%. Because like you said, the, the experience with, you know, the beer could be, you know, shitty or not great, but if you have a good time there, sometimes, you know, people will overlook not going and having the best beer if they have a great experience, you know. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've, and it's, it's funny. I, and maybe this is because of our journalism background, you know, having to interview people, connect to people, people are our sources, people are our subjects. Mm-hmm. I think journalism just inherently you, is about people, obviously. Um, But something that I really stress with all of my teams from Wibby to Epic in Denver to to Fauxbrook in New Orleans to Half Acre in Chicago is just like, we are gonna be known in whatever city, wherever we are, whatever my, whoever my team is, we are going to be known for our best customers, the best customer service in that city. And I, like that sounds cheesy. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a lofty, cheesy goal. Like we're going to be the best in customer uh, service, but I, yeah. it's actually like an afterthought for a lot of places. Like I know I'm a consumer. I'm a big beer drinker. Mm-hmm. I go to other places and sometimes the service is just so mediocre or lukewarm or frankly not good because like they, maybe some places are just like, they're well known for their beer. They're the most popular brewery in town. They distribute all over. They don't need. Right to go above and beyond, quote unquote, but like you still do. Mm-hmm. And I mean that we're, you know, and, and people in the tap room, bartenders are really, you you can call them bartenders, but they're so much more than that. They're brand ambassadors. They're the they're front the, line. They're the of, face of your exactly. brewery. You know? And sometimes they could just get so dismissed. They're like, oh, you, well, they just pour beer. And like, if that's what you think <laughs> the tap room is, or you that's what you just think that bartenders do, then you have no business Right. You know, being in the business of breweries because bartenders are the front lines. They are, will make or break. Right. If that consumer gets Austin Beer Works at the bar they go to or their grocery store right. or comes back or tells people about it, you know, so that you got to take care of your people and then your people will take care of the people who yeah. come through your doors. Yeah, 100 percent. I always say, you know, bartenders are the face of the brewery, not the not the owners, not the brewers. It's like no. you all make it. 
but they're the ones selling it consistently. I mean, here at Austin Beer Works, we only we don't distribute our beer outside Austin. That's, so that's nuts. And yeah, and y'all are so well known, and like you, your reputation precedes you for sure, right? Austin yeah. Beer Works, and the fact that y'all are just within the city limits, and especially yeah. probably within your taproom doors, is is nuts. So like, I'm like y'all, like you are it, like in you know I, and this is a question that I want to ask you is you know when I came in and I acquired a staff, you know, most of them have been there at, at least a year. There was one person that had been four years. It's like, how do I go into this place that's been established for 12 years and come in and be a boss? And, you know, how do I not overstep? How do I, you know, what do I change that needs to be changed for the better without, you know, coming in being like, well, this is how we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. how, you know, how, how Tell me your experience of going to Half Acre, an established brewery, and acquiring staff and kind of adjusting to being a boss of a bunch of people. And also the thing for me is a lot of my staff is, like, my team is older than me. Um, so that's a that's a challenge, too. But so how yep. did you, you know, what, what would be your advice if someone's listening and they're thinking of a career change of moving, kind of what we did? Yeah. Yeah, this is an excellent question and honestly something that, I've really had to reconcile and work on since really my beer journey began. When I, just going back to Wibby, when I became the assistant taproom manager, I, that was my first management job. That was, I was coming into a place where people were older than me, people had worked there longer than me, and I definitely made a lot of missteps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I'm of the ethos that like, make mistakes, but never make the same one twice, you know, like just learn from them. Mistakes are totally fine. So I'd like to think that's what I did, you know, um, early on, but especially coming into half acre where half acre is so it's so entrenched, like the culture is so magnetic and infectious and contagious. And we have so many people who have been there, uh, for five years plus. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, people, people stay at half acre, people are half acre and people I'm coming in, I'm two months in the job and people have such institutional knowledge about the brewery. So my, my advice to that is to just listen. You know, I've recently just scheduled a lot of one-on-ones with my team. I'm like, okay, I'm seven weeks in. I feel like I kind of got my feet underneath me. What, what do you want to see here? What do you think we can do better? What, 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 what do you want? What, tell me what you're thinking, Mm -hmm. because you know, I, in this current point in my career, like I'm a very established taproom manager. I know how beer works. I know how inventory works. I know how depletions work. You know, I, I know how POSs work and, and management mm-hmm. works, but I don't know how I have faker works. And I don't know how these people work. So I'm coming in and saying, you tell me. And now that you're telling me and you feel like you can come to me and you don't have to do this within this, you know, meeting, you can come all the time. Just you tell me, you know, you, you teach me, you train me, and then we'll go from there. So, you know, when I've got my feet down from, you know, when I, when I'm established that half acre, then I can say, you know, okay, well now I've seen how we do things and this is what I think we can do better. Now I've seen how operations work. Well, I think we can be smoother this way. Um, but my biggest thing is like, you know, whether they're older than you or whether they've been there longer than you, it doesn't really matter whether they're seasonal or whatever, they just ask them mm-hmm. have your team tell you what they want from you. And then you can really take that and supervise in a very organic, genuine, and efficient way. Yeah. 
I 100% agree. You know, I don't want anyone ever to be afraid to come talk to me about anything. Heck, heck it's more scary for me to go talk to them about stuff like they're doing totally. wrong. <laughs> totally. Know, having those totally. tough conversations. I hate those. And I'm always mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, I always end any kind of message. Come to me with any questions, comments, concerns. I'm, yep. you, know, I, you will not upset me mm-hmm. if you don't like this. You know, every... I'm just very communicative and open. I'm like, hey, what do you all think about this? Or, you know, when I first came in, you know, I had a, I have a very extensive knowledge of the POS system we use. I you have worked for, we use Ride, and I have worked mm-hmm. for them on the side. I said, I have a lot of knowledge. What don't you love about what you all do? Mm-hmm. And I have just completely changed it. You know, I'm like, what makes sense for you? What makes totally. it easier for you? My job is to make your job easier. So what don't you like? And they're like, well, we don't like how the merch is set up. I just changed it. I made sure it was okay with merch. They're like, thank you. This makes our job so much easier getting, you know, what's confusing about buttons on the PS? What can I change? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, can you change this? Done. And then you kind of build that trust. It's like, I'm there to help them. Mm -hmm. So they know that. And then they trust me to be like, oh, we're having this issue. Let's talk to Ginzi. You know, she can talk to owners. You know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely the, you know, the first step is just kind of, you know, I, you know, I sat for like the first month and just hung out in the tap room with them when I was there and just, you know, seeing how things worked and listening to their questions, comments, and because it is tough, especially, you know, the people who've been there, I mean, some of them, people have been there five plus years and, you know, and, you know, you don't want to come in and change too much but also like that's kind of why you are hired sure bring fresh eyes fresh eyes and you know everything i've done i'm like we'll try this if you all don't like it we can switch it back but let's just try it because totally no the previous way you all were doing things was a little confusing and not super organized so let's try it and if you like it we'll keep it and then i'll ask like hey how's everyone liking you know how we're doing scheduling or whatever like this is great it's fine like so you know it's just it's it's kind of, you just, you, you, you play by ear, you know, and you just kind of learn how things and operate. And, you know, it's, it's tough because yeah, like I said, you know, you, you're coming in with people who've been there for years and how things are done, but also like, if it's something's not working, let's change it or make it better. Right. And exactly to your point, I think, and then to answer your, your previous question is like, how do you, how do you step into that? established place how do you step into a role in which people are used to doing it this way mm-hmm. i think one of the best things you can do is say not can i support you today because you know you can you say how can i support you okay. today yeah yeah you know like i i i'm here to bring a fresh you know breath of fresh air i'm here to bring fresh eyes i'm here to help propel this place to new heights so i know i can support you you tell me how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's, you know, changing operations with the POS system, whether that's changing how we communicate, whether that's changing how you feel like you have a voice in the company or, or changing how you feel about your role. We can, we can do all of that. You just tell me what you mm-hmm. need from me. Yeah. And again, it's that trust, you know, I'm, totally. I, I try to be as open and honest about, you know, myself to them and, and so they can be open and honest and I, you know, I am friends with my staff and I think that's completely okay. You know, we have hung out outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a huge part of it because, you know, 
I think having a relationship beyond just work is important. You know, you get to know them and you get to know how they, you know, there are lines, you know, you still their boss. Um, but I think, you know, if you like your staff and they like you, it just, it helps. And one of my biggest things, I'm like, I'm a very flexible person. And sometimes that can be a downfall, but I'm like, if you're, if you work with me, I'll work with you. you know? Totally. If you call in sick and I know you're sick, that's fine. But if you're abusing it, then that's where I draw the line, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, scheduling is the biggest pain in the ass, you know? But if you work with me on your schedule, I will 100% work with you back. You know, I'm not trying to not allow you to take a vacation you've had for two years or whatever. But okay, how, how can you help me, you know, fix, you know, that kind of thing? And, you know, again, it's just building trust and communication. Gosh, it's the biggest key in our roles and, um, you know, we, <laughs> the way we were communicating before I came in, I got us all on Slack, just the tap room. And then the whole brewery mm-hmm. went on, on Slack and it's been so much better. So it's just like small things when you come in with, sure with these, you know, fresh eyes. And that's, you know, that's what, you have to, that's what I have to remember that I was hired to do. Um, uh, yeah. I have, you know, to be honest, made some people angry of how I done parts of my job that weren't really, you know, police before mm-hmm. um and so that's that's also very hard um mm-hmm. but i'm like the tap room is my domain and so i'm going to i don't want to use the word protect but i'm going to you know protect the tap room and how things are done in there as much as i can because also you know you think if if something gets if it you know you get in trouble for not policing it you know that for one employer or whatever then that comes back on you in the long run. So my, you know, my biggest advice is like, if your job is to do this, but it makes some employees angry, still do it, you know, have conversations because if it gets back to the owners that you weren't doing that because a couple of employees were angry, your ass is on the line. Oh yeah. No, I mean that it's, it's very tough because especially it seems like you and I have a lot in common that I feel like we're such people managers, like, really just like want to champion and advocate yes. for our people. Oh, whilst... I, will, I will go to war for my bar. Oh, oh my gosh. Literally, literally same, literally same, but you know, and then, but you're also the liaison to upper management yes. that they're not, you know, privy to. So, you know, that role I think is extremely difficult, especially because it sounds like you and I manage very similarly. We're like, those are our people. We advocate, we'll work with them, we'll champion them, we'll protect them, we'll, you know, root for them, things like that. Um, but also, you know, maintaining boundaries into which, you know, privileges don't get abused right. or trust and rapport and relationships and connections don't get abused or exploited or things like that, while at the same time, you know, protecting your own employment and protecting Mm -hmm. your own rapport and role in the company. You know, I feel like I am the product of every manager. I I feel like I've learned so much from managers I didn't like because Mm -hmm. I am the opposite of them. You know, even starting back in like my college newspaper days, you know, I had bosses who like never told me thank you. And granted, like, you know, I was just doing my job, but never once told me thank you. And I'm like, well, that's a shitty feeling. Yeah. I'm going to tell my team thank you all the time because I'm genuinely appreciative yeah. that they do such a great job. So I'm going to do that. And then, you know, I shout had other outs. bosses. I love yeah. a good oh, shout oh, out. Good shout out. 
as so deserved. And then I've had other managers who like really micromanaged and like, oh, a trash wasn't taken out last night, even though we, you know, did record sales and, uh, you know, everyone left very happy and we did just had an amazing night, but one side work duty was forgotten. Right. And then I'm, I'm micromanaged and I'm sent a picture, you know, like, hey, you didn't do this. Your team didn't do this. Your team needs to be better. Uh, the, like, the good old pictures. <laughs> oh, the good old pictures. I, and I'm like, I don't oh, think I've ever done work. that. I I, had, I'm never going to do that. But I've had that done to me too many times. God. <laughs> you know, just it's just like, you know, you're right. You, we, we missed that one thing and that will be addressed. And I'll be right. like, hey. We make sure, you know, we're thorough in our cleaning because cleaning is just as important as oh, yeah. any other operations. Of course, 110%. It's not that it's not valid. It's the way that it's delivered. And I know what works for me when it's, like, delivered to me in such a micromanagey, like, passive-aggressive way. And I'm like, okay, you know, we did miss that. You're right. The parking lot was kind of trashed when we left at the end of the night. You're right. But you weren't on the floor to know how mm. out of the park – our bartenders were last night with, you know, customer engagement, customer service. And especially at somewhere like Faubourg, it was, it's a really interesting spot. It's on 15 acres of green space. So something that we could do really well there was like host big events. Mm -hmm. We never necessarily saw like day-to-day traffic be really busy because it's, it's such an intentional spot, especially in New Orleans. You're never just going to stumble upon it. You have to specifically go there. travel this it's a destination right so especially when we could do big events that's when we when i was there but also they still um you know really knock it out of the park so i would tell my team all the time you know we have long lines out the door but i would rather everyone know that they're going to wait an average of 30 seconds to a minute longer because when they know when they come up it's not rushed you know, like sometimes it could feel like and like it was more like an event venue than like a brewery. But I was like, we're not going to lose our tap room vibe. We're not going to lose our, our brewery vibe because what's going to happen is they're going to wait in that long line. And when they get up there, you're going to say, hi, I'm Katie. This is our new release today. Would you like a sample? What kind of beer do you like? Would you like a recommendation? I would love to give you a sample of this, things like that. So, um, you know, just like little things like that. I can see that values that I instill in my team. And, you know, sometimes upper management doesn't always see those little things. Um, and that's why I feel so defensive of my team. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, no, the big things, we we will always hit it out of the park. Little things, yeah, we'll tighten that up. We'll get right. there. But big things, uh, that's what I inspire to lead with. And, um, and I feel like, you know, my teams really reciprocate that. And another thing I'm really big about, you know, on those days where it's busy, like, if you are in management, do not feel, you know, if anyone's listening to them and is in, in, in aspiring to be any kind of manager, general, tap room, whatever, says it, don't feel like you are above your staff, tap, oh, tap yeah. room staff. I was, we were busy on Friday night. I was wearing cowboy boots and denim, and I was behind the bar sweating my ass off helping <laughs> Like, completely not prepared sure. to bartend. Um, but we were busy. There was a home soccer game and, um, you know, I was behind the bar busing and, you know, getting them caught up and my staff will even yell at me. They're like, do not work. They're like, we've got this. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I could not, not help you. Like I will come up in sandals, like not prepared to work and I will get yelled at by my staff to not be, but they respect me. They, they've told me that they're like, one thing we really love about you is 
you will get behind the bar and help us. You will bust tables. You will you will clean. And you know, I I've worked in a lot of places where you know upper management has not helped. It's been busy, and they're just being super social, and we are totally. getting our asses kicked. And totally. I don't respect those people. I'm like, this is your place of business. Like, you know, help us. Like you're you're allowed to be behind the bar and help us. And you know, so. I've just not, again, you've seen, you kind of learn from bad experience with other management. Right. It's like, I never loved when I was getting my ass kicked behind the bar. I'm like, just help with glassware. Like, that's just a huge thing. That, yeah, totally. And, you know, so it's just, you know, it's, like I said, I'll go to war with them. And that means whether it's a bad experience with the customer, it's, you know, whether it's a busy night. And that just helps helps them respect you, especially in our situations where we come in, we're new, you know? Totally. Well, I mean, to that point, it, it, we all have the same goal <laughs> and it's, you know, whether it's great customer service or I don't know, generating max revenue, which of course is the ultimate goal, right? but you can kind of sugarcoat it and like, well, the, the way that we'll get max revenue is by having efficient service, having clean facilities, having the best friendliest bartenders, you know, like you don't just get max revenue by pushing out a lot of product, which I think is like sometimes upper management's idea. Like, well, the more beer we can push over the bar, it's like, no, it's like how we push the beer over the bar and things like that, you know? So, because, I mean, we just all know, have the same goal. Because yeah, then, and then it turns that person's grocery shopping and they see your beer on the shelf and they're like, oh wow, I had a great experience there. I didn't get to try this one. Let me grab it. You know, it all, you know, works together, but it, you know, it really starts in the tap room. Or, you know, it really yeah. starts, uh, you know, with with your bartenders and a good experience there. So and um, I think it's, it's it's so symbiotic, like you're saying, like, you know, we want them to be a half acre, Austin Beer Works, Foberg, whatever fanned when they're out in the market. But similarly, and probably the same for Austin Beer Works, but for sure half acre, it almost works in reverse because like some tap rooms you go to for the first time and you're like, wow, this is really enjoyable. I'm going to support them when I leave. <laughs> but for Half Acre specifically, they've already been supporting us. They've been drinking Daisy Cutter mm-hmm. for 10 years yep. in Indiana or something. And now this is their first time to the tap room. Uh-huh. So it's almost like even bigger responsibility yep. that they've had such a good idea of us in their head for so long. And then how disappointing would it be to be them if they were like, wow, I've been drinking Daisy Cutter for yeah. 10 years and I'm finally at Half Acre. And you get there and your service is bad, mediocre, lukewarm, not friendly, whatever. And you're just like, oh, kind of like letting the air out of a balloon, you know? Right. So like, we and, we know our responsibility to maintain the reputation of our brand. And it's just, it's just goes so much beyond pouring and serving beer. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's really what I want people who either are aspiring in hospitality management or who are not familiar with hospitality management to understand um, is that it's just, it's so much bigger than that. For your bottom yeah, and, line. And, you know, you have it, you know, they're drinking Daisy Cutter, which I've had that beer. So I'm, I know how well it sells for you all. But the same thing is like Austin's a tourist town, you know, people come totally. here and they know us and they can't get us anywhere else. So they come here and they're so excited to finally drink Austin Beer Works. And it's like, we never want to have them, you know, leave with the bad taste in their mouth. You know, we want them to, you know, be able to come back in Austin and we're their first stop. Um, you know, because we don't, we, you know, people have a lot of FOMO when it comes to our beer, just because we, it's only throughout the Austin area. So, um, yeah. 
So it's kind of it's kind of the same concept, but just you know different. And how people people are just you know their first stop when they come into town is is us, and um, you know so we have that. And how cool is that? You know, like how cool is that? I just I find that yeah. to be such a an honor, you know, and uh, to think that like you know because uh, I'm sure Austin beer works for sure but half acre like we get a lot of people with their luggage in tow yeah like they obviously are fresh off the plane or fresh off their uber or maybe they're checking out of their hotel and we're yeah. the last stop like that that's an honor y'all mm-hmm. you know like we really like again as like on the consumer standpoint I'm a big fan girl with like brands I love and, mm-hmm. and products I love um you know and a lot of that stems from an experience I had at one point so you know, it's just, it's like, it's an honor that people choose to spend their time with you. Mm-hmm. Why, why not make it the best time? What I say to my team all the time is like, people in Chicago, whether you're tourists or locals or whatever, you have a choice. So remind them that they chose correctly when they chose Half Acre. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You might steal that. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's all yours. Well, yeah, I mean, we get that too. Lots of luggage and we're like 30 minutes from the airport. Um, yeah. So... I mean, obviously, there's very well-established breweries here as well, and, you know, same for Chicago. Um, so it's, you know, but it is an honor that when people come here, you know, they're from out of town, and they have chose us to come. I mean, there's so many breweries they could have chose. We were one of them. So let's let these people from, you know, Seattle, you know, remember remember us and tell mm-hmm. all the other friends next time they go home. 110%. Wow, I could I could literally talk to you about this all day, and I think <laughs> yeah. you could same. But uh, for sake of time, um, we'll kind of go to a lot of my repeat questions that I have, just because when I kind of change the format of this podcast, I, I want to hear different people's perspective on the same topics because sure. I just think you know we all work in this industry and in different ways, and I think these are some really um, fun topics to to talk about. One of the biggest things that, I guess my first question is, what is one thing people don't know that you do in your role? Hmm. Hmm. I, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I, I, I guess kind of to echo what we've said um, before is like, I think taproom management is, you know, you're seen having a very wide swath of, um, you know, responsibilities, inventory, revenue collection, you know, like, of course, it's just, you know, it's, it's very broad, our duties and our responsibilities, but I hate to even just echo what we've been saying this whole time, but for me, what I don't think people know that I do in my duty is, um, I just want to take care of my people first, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to check in with them all the time. Um, I want to make sure that they feel supported, you know, so I, I feel like personally, which is not necessarily something in like my job description or right. if someone was in this role before or after me, they may do differently or may not do, but like, I'm just checking in with my people constantly. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not going to have the reputation we do. We're not going to have the operations we do. if like my people just don't feel supported. So I feel like maybe there's an idea of what a taproom leadership does. Um, but for me, it just goes back to just making sure my people are good. And so I think uh, in that way, um, 
it may not be super known that that's like kind of my biggest priority. And when that fifth course taproom management, there's so much other priorities. Um, But honestly, that's my biggest one. Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing for me is, um, is how much I have to talk to other people in the brewery, you know, talk to the head brewer. Sure. What beers are coming up this month, you know, okay, we have two new beers I to put on the tap wall. Well, I don't have room. So how do mm-hmm. I, what do I take off if this beer needs to go on? Or, you know, what can I finagle? And that's an everyday confusion. Cause he's like, I walk in on Monday. He's like, I got five new beers for the shoe this week. And I'm like, stop brewing so much beer. <laughs> yeah. I don't have room yeah. on my tap wall. 100%. You know, going over to packaging, seeing what's packaging or what's yeah. being packaged that day. Okay. We got to pull the stuff, you know, out and move it over. Um, gosh, there's, you know, talking to distro and seeing what's down there. Cause you know, we don't have a big enough facility to keep all the cold stuff near us. So we have to literally drive just right down the street. So there's so many different, you literally touch every different level. You know, you you work with HR because you know, most of the staff, is under you so you're working with hr and mm-hmm. we, have a, we have a permanent food truck on the site you know i'm i'm technically mm-hmm. in the boss of the food truck which i don't like to say that because they have a boss their chef but like sure you know, what what are the you literally totally. touch every part of the brewery Absolutely. and and so it's 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 a lot so you have to be you know very organized in this job and um yeah that's if- that's a good point because i think you know going back to like you know taking care of my people I also don't know if my people realize how many things we touch, how many people we're constantly talking to, you know, how many brewers we're constantly bothering or our, our sales directors or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, because going back again to like how symbiotic a, a relationship is with like a tap room with the overall breweries, like something I always tell my salespeople, I love to schmooze, send in an account, send in, you know, a bar, send in like one of your biggest, uh, biggest sellers and we're going to give them a tour. We're going to comp all their rounds. We're going to schmooze uh, for sure. All right. Next question. Mm-hmm. What is your most uh, significant accomplishment or your, your proudest moment so far? Yeah, I think, I think that I have a couple answers to that. I think my, my biggest one is really just making the decision to move to beer, but to make the career change and is really kind of what I want my, um, the theme of my story to be is just, you know, not be afraid to do that because it changed my life. Mm-hmm. I've met so many incredible people. I've done so many incredible things. So many of my best friends, my favorite people, um, my regulars, even, you know, just like going to beard radically changed my life for the better but you know that doesn't have to be beer just you know not afraid to to make that step of doing something you thought you weren't supposed to or doing something differently from the one thing you thought you were going to want to do so I just that that, to me making that career change was is my proudest moment but also too um there have been times that like I've heard customers or even employees like say bad things, um, whether like racist or homophobic or things like that, that I didn't immediately speak up about because I was, you know, so taken back that that happened. Um, So I would say that my proudest, one of my proudest moments is, you know, learning from those mistakes and never not speaking up again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I hear a customer say something, nope, 
that's not allowed here at this bar. You are not welcome back. You right. can leave. Um, or, you know, hearing, you know, a coworker say something, be like, that's extremely inappropriate and this is wrong and here's why. So yep. learning from, you know, past, I wouldn't say mistakes, but, you know, learning how to handle those situations and, um, you know, being better prepared to stick up for what is right is something that was a, a slow burn of a lesson over the course of my career, but I'm ex extremely well equipped and prepared for it now. So uh, just really proud to put progressive values first and not really accept anything less from whether my team or my customers. And I think, you know, what happened with obviously Brian and Allen and all that stuff, I think it's made a lot more women um, in this industry be a lot more comfortable speaking out. For sure. Because now that everybody knows it's happening, you know, at least for me, I feel a lot more comfortable saying something and not feeling like I'm going to get in trouble for, you know, from not that that's the case, but, you know, that you would get in trouble from, you know, your, your job or whatever. Um, you know, yeah. and I, and I, you know, and I will say like, maybe I wasn't, you know, there's things definitely been said to me or that I've heard and I haven't said anything, you know, in the very beginning, cause you're just so new and scared, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. definitely as you continue to be in this industry and you grow and you become more confident, you know, that's, that's definitely something that you become more comfortable and brave to do. And, um, so yeah, 110%. And I'm so proud of that. You know, like I can see if you just looking back at the past five years of my life, I can see where I was when that happened originally. And if that were to happen today, how different my mm -hmm. response and reaction and the overall consequence of something like that happening today, it's just, it's just so radically different. Um, but, you know, I, I recognize that that took a lot of experience and growth to get here. Um, but yeah, just being my proudest moment is now that I'm not afraid to, you know, speak up or stand up. Uh, and, you know, that took a long time, but I'm here now. So I'm excited about that. I know one of your passions with this industry is diversity and inclusion. Do you, in your honest opinion, think that this industry is better than it was, you know, a year ago? Or are you still seeing the same kind of bad apples because mm. mm -hmm. you've kind of yeah. worked you know more around you know, Colorado Louisiana mm -hmm. uh, Chicago I've only done Kentucky and now Austin so I'm still pretty you know blindfolded mm -hmm. when it comes to this but do you think it's better now than it was let's say a year ago that is an interesting question because Yes, because what I'm seeing, and this is, you know, of course, my experience, I'm seeing people, managers, presidents, um, specifically white, cis, hetero men <laughs> uh, who are in these um, positions of leadership. Mm -hmm. What I'm noticing is that they want to be better. <laughs> they doesn't mean that they are doesn't mean that they don't still fall into boys clubs or bad habits or just inherently being in their white cis hetero world don't know the right inclusion terms or ex lived experiences of other people. So what I'm saying is that there is this want to be better, but there's still so much work to do mm -hmm. of, you know, 
understanding other people's lived experiences, or maybe not understanding, but understanding that you don't understand. And that's okay. You know, like you're not going to get what it's like to be um, somebody else. Um, But so I'm seeing the desires there to want to be better, but just like any industry, just like Lord knows our society, there's still a lot of like white supremacy and patriarchal um, systems in place that are hard to break. But I, I really have seen the effort to change be there. So I appreciate that, appreciate the desire um, to, to be better and, and to grow and to learn but there's still so much room to be better and to grow and to learn. And hopefully that is an, that's an always ever present thing that we can always be better, but uh, yeah, still a lot of room for growth, but the the desire is there. I will say, I think again, you know, obviously a lot of this, you know, this question stems from Brie and Alan and what she's done and, you know, all, what all transpired from that is, I think, you know, if, I think it is better because we are so, so much more what's the word i don't want to say we're calling people out you know sure nobody is being no one's able to hide anymore sure and so in that sense yes we have these bad incidents but they'll come to light and that brewery or that person will Mm -hmm. you know either you know leave get you know get i don't want to say get kicked out but they'll they'll be repercussions and i don't think Mm -hmm. that was the case you know a year or so ago um and in my experience there's four white dudes that own awesome beer works and during the my interview with them i asked them you know what are you doing what you know you know you know what things are you changing are you working toward and they gave me a very open and candid answer they're like we know that we are four white men sitting here with you um you know we don't know the answers but we want to work and be better. And um, it was, you know, they've done like the brave noise beer and stuff like that. You know, they're doing whatever they can to help. And, you know, they're like hiring is, you know, who we hire now right now for this position is, you know, very top of mind of, you know, and how, you know, where we put the job and stuff like that. So it was, again, I'm, I would never would have asked that question two years ago. Totally. Um, But it's, you know, you, you're just like, I don't want to work for a company that doesn't have the same values as me. And that's just, you know, that's something I think we're doing better as an industry is we're asking those questions when we go to interview, you know, we're also interviewing the people that are interviewing us. And I think that's completely different than it was two years ago. 110%. I'm so annoyed with this term cancel culture because i'm like no this word has existed it's called consequences right <laughs> it's like the, the, this is yeah. not a new concept but what is new is exactly what you're saying is like calling for these consequences mm-hmm. you know speaking up to shine light on behavior that deserves consequences so i totally agree and you know going to your point it's like you know we this industry and this society is you know just prevalent white cis hetero men um culture but again they 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 can't help the fact that they're white cis hetero men who have (laughs) been privileged by you know white supremacy um you know all these different things that have built that demographic up they can't help that so not mad at that but i'd love to see the efforts they're putting in to to lift up others lift up other demographics Mm -hmm. 
you know, give platform and a voice to those who, um, you know, don't look like them. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's been, it, like you exactly said, you know, it's two years ago, maybe this, you and I are not having this conversation, but you know, it feels really good to be in a place right now, uh, that we have both put ourselves in to, to be asking those questions for sure. One of the biggest things we're hearing, you know, nowadays, and not just a beer is burnout. Um, so what is your best advice or what do you do to help with burnout and not getting burnt out? I don't know if I'm the person to give advice on that. <laughs> um, I think my wife would tell you that I could do better about turning off my notifications on my off days and, uh, not answering my phone on off days and things like that. So I personally am not anyone to be giving any kind of guidance on that, but I do like to, you know, inspire that with my team mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, say, tell me what you need. How can I balance your schedule to do things that you do on the side um, to see your partner? You know, I have a lot of people come to me and say, Hey, I don't want to work as many nights, you know, because my partner works at nine to five or whatever and say, you know, so, um, I, I want to be very cognizant of home life balance, mm -hmm. um, you know, boistering your hobbies and your passions outside of beer and outside of the company. Um, so I, I try to, uh, to do that all in like my off days, I stuff <laughs> that. And my wife will always say, she'll always say like, you've been running around like crazy, just relax. And I'm like, well, I don't have any other time to do all this stuff that I like to do. That's not right. on my off day, you know? So, um, yeah. So I just, I just try to be very cognizant yeah. of a homework life balance, both for myself, uh, and for my team. And so when my team comes to me and says like, this is X, Y, and Z is what I need to have a better homework life balance. I'm like, great. Let's, yep. let's try to accomplish that. Yeah. And, you know, I think obviously our biggest thing is, you know, I don't know about you, but I essentially work uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, it's more like nine thirty, five thirty, but not important. But, you know, on the weekends, there are still things, you know, that I'm like, oh, I need to do this. And the nice thing is sometimes that can be done from my computer on my couch. Sure. Um, or, you know, yesterday I had to go up and, you know, clean for an event to, to that we have today um, and ended up being there for four hours. And and then I have to go back up today for the event. And it's just like, okay, then maybe I'll leave like 30 minutes early on Monday or something. It's just, you know, I, I'm not hourly, so I kind of get that flexibility. And, mm -hmm. um, and I also like, I mean, I think it also depends on like where you work too. Like I, Absolutely. I'm only three months into the shop, but I love it. And I don't think I felt this way about previous, uh, previous jobs. Mm -hmm. So like, they're always like, you don't need to be here. We got this. I'm like, no, but I actually like want to. And I also want to, like, that's another thing is I want to help you all. Like, mm -hmm. I want to be, you know, even if it's for, an, I'm up there 30 minutes to help you get this event started. As long as I know it's it's going smooth and y'all, you're okay. I only live five minutes away from the tap room. So it's, oh, but yes, nice. I, there, you know, I, yes, t the, the notifications on the phone is something that's just very hard to turn off. But we are kind of in a different role where if something goes wrong, we need to be up at the tap room to assist and help and fix that. Yeah. That's kind of what's hard too, is because in this particular role, in this particular level of the hospitality management, especially because hospitality is at its 
firing on all cylinders on the days that we're off, like Saturdays and Sundays, right? So, like, that's when it's really rocking into gear. And hopefully you've done your job throughout the week to make sure exactly. they're set up in a good position to, you know, fire on all cylinders and, mm-hmm. and, and work very efficiently. But I guess it's hard to, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but, like, turn off your notifications, yes, but turn off, like, how do, how do I say it? Like, passion, I guess, that it's going well. Yes. I want to know. I'm like, oh, I hope yeah. they're, you know, I hope yeah. we're oh, busy. And I, I check hope... sales every hour oh, yeah. oh my on God. the weekends. We just, we just have to have, like, a shop caller that when it <laughs> says, like, you go to, like, check the POS sales, that it's like, nope. Nope. <laughs> or like my wife needs to get a spray bottle for when I like, you know, check that. Yeah, I something. do that with my dogs when they're being bad. Yeah. Them, so. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'll exactly. try to train them to do it to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's hard to like, I guess why I'm not the person to ask about burnout is because like I do it to myself. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the one who's checking sales on my off day. And it's like, why dude? It's, it's like, going to be this. It's going to <laughs> tell you the same thing tomorrow when you, yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. So I just need to rewire my brain and then maybe you can come back and ask me that question. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very cognizant of it just because I also love what I do that I don't want to get burnt out. Totally. And so, yes, I don't have it now. Um, uh, but in a year or two, I don't want to have it then. Totally. So I'm like, of course I'm not burnt out now. I'm very new to my job, but I'm not going to be new to it in two years. And I don't want to be working 60 hour weeks up to that. So totally. I get paid for 40 hours. That's why I tell myself. <laughs> I am paid for 40 hours a week. Yeah. So that's what I should work. Obviously, there's, you know, I'm not, like I said, I was up there for four hours yesterday and I'll be up there today. Like, of course, I'm still doing my job. Right. But like, if there's weeks where, you know, I can kind of just do what I need to do and be fine. Like, then I shouldn't feel bad about, you know, being there more than I need to. I, I totally agree. So I, I, it's just going to take a rewiring of our brains, but we'll get there. And we're, yeah, we're gearing up for, you know, busy season because it's not going to be as hot. And, right. Um, so right. I've also got to prepare myself to, you know, being there more, you know, if we, this weekend was any indication, then yeah, I'm going to be working lots more hours coming up. Yeah. All right. Final few fun questions. What would you be doing if you weren't working in beer? The little girl in me would say being a meteorologist, but I know that's not correct. You know, we talked earlier about why we got into journalism in the first place is because math and science weren't a strong suit. But so the little girl who had a, a screen name that was literally Weather Girl for for being the number of the news channel that I watched and the meteorologist <laughs> I love. Uh, I, yeah, that would, yeah. That would, I'd probably be a meteorologist, but yeah. I love that weather. Was that like your AIM screen? Name? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it was. I was obsessed. I think, I think what did it was the movie Twister. You know, you see Helen Hunt yeah. chasing tornadoes and you're like, I want to be Helen Hunt chasing oh tornadoes. Gosh. So, uh, but yeah, I think if I were not in a beer, I'd be Helen Hunt chasing tornadoes. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> If you could drink one beer for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is not a sexy answer, but it's kind of like a nostalgic answer. It's, I mean, I have two options and okay. like, I would be fine with either one. One is uh, Parish Brewing out of Brewster, Louisiana. Shout out my hometown. 
uh, cane break. It's a wheat ale that's made with like cane syrup from the sugar cane fields in South Louisiana. If that's not the most like South Louisiana thing you've ever heard, um, cane break or shout out Fort Collins, my other adopted hometown, uh, Odell's 90 shilling. It's like a Scottish ale. It's kind of similar to like, like a fat tire. It's just very malt forward, very easy drinking beer. Um, but literally if you just put 90 shillings or cane breaks in front of me for the rest of my life, I would have zero complaints. So I'll tell you this story now. I was going to tell you the end. So my, how I got into craft beer is my mom and I took a mother daughter trip to new Orleans when I, the summer after I turned 21. I love Um, that. And we were sitting at Avenue pub and yeah. And my mom always drank craft beer and she's, you know, I, I, she was into IPAs, all that stuff. And I would try it. That was gross. And then she was like, try this Blondale. It's pretty light. It's, it's Noel Brewing's Blondale. And I was like, this isn't bad. And the whole rest of the trip, I just ordered Blondales everywhere I went. And so I I, love this story so much. When I got back, I, that's, that summer is just when I went crazy and going to all the different breweries in Lexington, Kentucky and trying them but yeah my 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 story with craft beer started in new orleans i can't the parallels of you and me also are just kind of ridiculous but that story is just really special avenue yeah. pub is a special special place yeah. again for somewhere in new orleans where craft beer is still catching up right avenue pub has always kind of been a stalwart there so yeah. for you to have that experience and nola brewing one of the oldest breweries yeah. uh in New Orleans. That's, that's I, really special. I came home and I think I drank so much Abita because obviously that was the <laughs> one New Orleans beer that I got here. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my story with, with I, beer. I love that so much. That's and really I haven't cool. been back to New Orleans and since I've only been once and I loved it and I just, I, I need to get back so bad. Well, like I said, New Orleans is my favorite city in the world and there's so much joy and revelry to have mm-hmm. down there. Um, and I'm just, I'm just glad that someone has a New Orleans memory that is centered around beer. That's not yeah. always the case. Oh gosh. Uh, we didn't even hit up Bourbon Street. I think we walked down there the last night. You know, we you, like, you do it once and you Yeah. We were like, we haven't been on Bourbon Street. Yeah. We, we got recommendations from somebody I knew that goes like three or four times a year. So obviously nothing we did was super touristy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Some, that, yeah. Some- Something New Orleans does well and that I, I miss about it. And I think Chicago has flavors of that as well. But neighborhood dive bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend and I down there, we made it like a club to, to read books and visit all the dive bars. Um, so New Orleans neighborhood establishments are really what make that city special, that make that city drinking culture special. You know, of course, Bourbon Street sells touristy right. tchotchkes, but it's really the, the neighborhood dives down there that, that make it really sweet. If you could take any beer vacation right now, where would you go? It's a good question. Maybe Seattle. Ooh, yeah. I think a lot of breweries up there are doing a lot of cool things. And, of course, being in the Pacific Northwest, they have um, great access to, of course, a lot of the awesome hops, American hops that are coming out of uh, coming out of the Yakima Valley and things like that. But just they have a lot of... Um, a lot of history there, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of innovation there. So I think I'd I'd go to Seattle. Um, Cloudburst is one of my favorites. Holy Mountain is one of my favorites. Rubens is really great. Just a lot of diversity. Uh, Fremont, of course. Oh my gosh, Fremont is so good. Uh, I think I'd 
go back to specifically Ballard in Seattle to drink a lot of beer. Have not done the Pacific Northwest. It's gotta it's go. on the list. Yeah, so. obviously it's got to. You should propel it to the top because it's, <laughs> it's a good place. I like now that I moved west and like in the middle of the country, and mm-hmm. I have like you know if I want to go west or east, it's the same time. So yeah, so totally. I've always I've thought about that already. Well, let um, me know when you go because I got I got a list for you. Who? Last question. Who would you most love to have a beer with? Oh, that's a good question. Journalism. Yeah. I ask great questions. (laughs) You do. You do. You have not lost that skill set for sure. Um, Oh, man. You could do dead or alive. You could do one dead, one alive. Uh, You know, I guess I got to go with like. Oh, my gosh. This is like a question that. I should have had like answered ready. Like I, I, I should know this. I should know this. Somebody came to your I, mind right away. Who was it? I'm going to say my granny. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, my granny was my role model, but you know, she passed when I was like 20 and I didn't really get to know her as an adult. Um, but I feel like a lot of who I am is who she was. So I'd love to have a beer with her and be like, Hey, did I turn out like you? I hope I did. So I think I think my granny, my Ruby. That's awesome. Yeah, a couple of people have said their their grandparents have yeah. since passed, and I love that. That's uh, awesome. It's special, and um, you know, especially if you could have one with her at Half Acre. Yeah, that'd be we'll pretty just, cool. Well, Katie, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday morning. We definitely talked a little bit longer than I had thought, but um, I think our similarities are pretty unique, and just um, I you know, respect and loved everything you said. And, um, I was just in Chicago about two months ago, wasn't even there 48 hours for a wedding. And now I regret not. Yeah. Sorry. I missed you. Yeah. It was my flight got delayed. I don't think I was there even 48 hours. It was, it was a quick there for a wedding and back, unfortunately, but, um, definitely had to come back. My friend lives there. So I always have an excuse to come. Great. Um, now, now you got, now you got, two. now I got two. Now I got two. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank well, you yeah, so no, much. Thank and you. This was a really, this was a huge joy. I really made my day. So thank you so much.